Welcome to Multi-Level Motivation. I'm Mary Lynn. And I'm Miles, and we are a mother-son podcast duo. And we are taking our unique experiences alongside experts and all leveling up together. So today I wanted to bring you another friend of ours, Dr. Janie Lacey, licensed psychotherapist. Dr. Janie, hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Mary Lynn and Miles, for having me. Absolutely. I'd like you to just take a moment and introduce yourself if you could. Well, absolutely. Well, I wear many hats, but my main hat that I like to, to focus on is I help women heal from toxic relationships so they can thrive in their love life and their business. So what that means to kind of break down the mini hats is I am the CEO of Life Counseling Solutions. So we are a group of psychotherapists that specialize in different areas. And then I'm the creator of Woman Redeemed. And that is for women who are go-getters, professionals, considered alpha females in society, but usually they have a secret um, in the sense that if there's toxic relationships or relationships that are not the healthiest, they keep it a secret until it gets to the point where they have to get help. And then I'm also a faculty member with the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, and I'm a court uh, TV uh, commentator. So I go on and I analyze different cases. Those are, that's the dark side of what I do. Oh, well, that's the fun side of what you do. And that's what we're going to ask you definitely about just for fun out of the gate. So, you know, you've been working on court TV and you got the, uh, pleasure of commentating right on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. So I was kind of curious, how did it all come about where you started, uh, you know, giving commentary on court cases on court TV? And now it sounds like it's developing into a show or is that a separate well, with uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and um, unfortunately they have a very toxic relationship, but fortunate for me, in a sense that it did uh, create the opportunity that I'm now um, repeat on court TV. So what happened was I was interviewed by NBC Nightly News and they were in particular interested in a comment that a psychologist made that was on the stand about mutual abuse. So they had did an interview with me for Nightly News and then that's actually what got me um, noticed by UK's Channel 5. So they had flown me out to either, they said either London or California, and wasn't able to go out to London a day before. So I, they flew me out to California and I was part of the documentary called Winners and Losers. And they were, they documented the case and we were breaking up some, uh, breaking down some of the components of the case. So Court TV saw me on that uh, documentary, as well as the the NBC Nightly News, I guess, when they were searching. So they invited me on the show to talk about the, the case. And then um, I guess, Miles, they liked me. So then they kept calling me back. So, but a lot of those cases are very, very dark, right? Because we are, we do get into cases where, for example, where mothers are taking the lives of their only their their own children, or, you know, there's a missing person and you've been married to that person for 20 years, right? So a lot of the headline cases that we see out there, as well as like the Amber Heard and, and Johnny Depp, they cover cover that. They were the main and only cameras that was in the courtroom for um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So it's, it's um, difficult cases, but I look at the media as a platform to bring the greatest amount of awareness to people who otherwise would not come to therapy, who would not deal with their stuff or think they have um, things going on. So I like to use media as a place of awareness. And then the the show opportunity that I'm doing, which will be commercials will be released in a few weeks and then I can release all the, the names and all the things. 
one of the top reality shows that's out there and they have about 5 million viewers per episode. So how I got on that show is I have a, a retreat that I do yearly under the Woman Redeem umbrella. And I had hired somebody, I didn't even know her, Mary Lynn, just somebody that was recommended to me. So we do at the retreat, we take four days and we do all the pillars that I believe bring healing. So we do body work, we do inner work and we do mindset. So I partner with here, I'm in the Orlando area. So we partner with the Orlando Anger Management Rage Room. If you guys haven't done that, you should. We bring a lot of calls there too, right? You get to tear up stuff and throw stuff. So we partner with them and we bring the ladies to the Rage Room and then we process um, that experience. And then we also partner with an equine therapy. So we do equine therapy with the ladies. And then the third area that we bring in a vendor is someone who's trauma-informed to do yoga therapy each morning with the ladies, right? Because some of these ladies have had their part of the retreat, they're dealing with, you know, childhood sexual abuse or some type of trauma that they've had in the context of relationships. So the therapist who's going to be doing the yoga needs to be sensitive to the body. So this particular yoga therapist was recommended to me. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I didn't even know if she really liked me or not, right? Because it was just a business deal and, you know, didn't necessarily felt like we had a connection the way that I like to connect with people. But I had gotten a call from this particular entertainment company that um, was asking me, was I interested in interviewing to be a therapist, being one of three therapists um, on this spinoff that they were doing off of the reality show. And they had told me, they said, well, Sarah Burnett was the one who recommended you. And that was the yoga therapist who I had <laughs> hired, who I didn't even know even liked me. And um, so that's how I got on the show was a direct uh, recommendation. So you never know, even though you can't really read people, you know, who you're influencing and I'm a big believer that part of legacy is that each and every person that you touch, that they're better because they're in your presence, right? So um, I'm grateful for her. And now um, her mother, who's also a therapist, is one of the other therapists on the show with me. So like now her mother is like, you know, very good friend of mine now. So it's it's amazing, you know, the how everything thing comes together. But this reality show for me, is again about getting in front of people who are following these celebrity couples, but who may not deal with their own stuff or may not come to therapy or may not even believe in therapy, but they'll watch a reality show, right? So there'll be millions of viewers and people that will be watching us do real therapy on television, which is why we were filming in, in Florida um, in particular, so that we can practice under our license. But Miles, I will know if I like doing this when I see how the edit comes out. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. There's always that. I'm, but, go ahead. I'm definitely curious. First off, I like your necklace. I don't know. I, I, I like floral stuff. I think that's pretty cool. Second off, I'm curious. I'm sure you come across a lot of people that are very resistant to therapy in general. Um, when you come across those people, What's kind of like some techniques, if you can like just touch on it, where you, I would guess from a layman would have to kind of convince them to to get into therapy. So what I recommend? Absolutely, you know, there's a couple of pockets mile where miles where I would come into people who are very resistant. Um, the first pocket are the people that come to therapy not for their own choice, but because their wife, their girlfriend, husband, or spouse says, we're going to therapy or I'm over, right? So right. you they're there because someone's forcing them to be there. So that's one resistance. Mm -hmm. Another resistance is just people who've never gone to therapy because there's a stigma around it. 
They believe that therapy means that there's something wrong with them, um, right? So there's a certain stigma that they assign it to. So they are not going to touch it because if they say they're going to a therapist or to themselves, if they admit that they need to go to therapy, they are thinking there's something wrong with them. So I think from a general population standpoint, it's so important to destigmatize uh, mental health services and that we all have mental health, which is very different. And the reason why we have the stigma Miles is because when people hear mental health services or I'm going to a mental health counselor, or I'm going to therapy, they automatically think of mental illness. And I can tell you a lot of people that use mental health services or therapy, at least for me, because it's my specialty, are coming for relationship issues. And we all have relationships, whether it's romantic, whether it's with our son, our mom, whether it's with our cousin, whether it's with our workplace, our boss. I mean, we we, we cannot wake up in the morning and go out the door and not have relationships. Um, so a lot of times people are either coming for me because I specialize in what we consider sexual addiction or love addiction or what we call relationship trauma is my um, specialty. And then anger management. So I'm a trauma therapist. So I deal with a lot of people who are wounded in relationships. So when they're coming to me, it's usually because they have no other um, course of action. They've tried um pretty much everything. So I do get a lot of people that are dragged into therapy because someone's threatened them. <laughs> well, I did want to back up just um, a little bit is, you know, one of the reasons I want to invite you on and um, I just, first we've got the boy mom thing in common and, you know, I just love that. And, you know, but we do work together on breakfast with champions. So we've gotten to know each other a little bit. And I really wanted to talk about, you know, that's one of the places where I have opened up a bit about when I was a young woman, about 19, I was in a abusive relationship and I was very fortunate to get out of it and break the cycle. And I know that's part of your why too. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, so people can hear that part of the story too, is why it's such a passion and um, poor memory for you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I'm a big believer that we are wounded in relationships and we can also heal in relationships. So one of the first traumatic things that have happened, I have many, but one of the first traumatic things that have happened to my family was when I was a, a young a young a young woman, my sister who was 9 years older to than me was in a relationship with um the father of her children. So I was sheltered from a lot of things in the sense of she didn't share a lot of things that were happening in her her household. But our tragedy hit us one night when we had gotten the devastation that we found out that her partner had took her life in front of their children. And you know what has happened as a result of that to our family was our family was forever changed, right? But when I look back now, my parents were ill-equipped to help the rest of us, right? Because there were eight of us um, girls that were still alive. Didn't They didn't have the tools, the knowledge, the equipment to help us deal with the grief and make sense of it. You know, even to the sense I remember, you know, it's a it's a pivotal memory for me, Marilyn, is, is seeing my sister in her coffin and being a young, a young woman, young girl. And my mom, I remember her like pulling down my sister. My sister's name is Carmen. She was pulling down my sister's collar and my sister died by strangulation. So my mom had did that in front of me as a little girl, like in the coffin. And I saw the marks that they tried to cover up with makeup. So I look at all of these decisions that my parents, again, it's not to blame them, but it's to understand how things affected me. We were exposed to a lot of things. We didn't have language for it. And we had this trauma. Here I am seeing my sister dead in a coffin 
and I'm seeing these marks of how she died and no one, Miles, had a conversation with us about it, right? So when I look at that and then I realize not only as I was getting older that I realized that there was so much dysfunction in my own family and trying to make sense of well, how does this happen? How does this beautiful woman who has all these sisters, who has a father, who has a mother, who has all these friends, how does this happen? And I remember starting asking myself these questions and then getting into my own you know, set of toxic relationships. I realized that the standard was low. Growing up in a family where my dad was an alcoholic, he's no longer here. Uh, he's an alcoholic. He was a drug dealer. But you grow up in a certain normalcy. You know there's a lot of um, secrecy and there's a lot of um, things that are happening as a little girl that you don't understand. And I had a pivotal moment where I found myself, I was actually 19 at the time, the age that you were mentioning. And I was with a boyfriend at that time that I was with for four years. And I had a trauma response, Miles, in the sense that we were having an argument. And from the outside, if you were looking at it, you would think, okay, you know, they're getting a little, you know, rough with each other, but it was a normal argument. But I had a trauma response. You know, I'm 5'3", he was 6'2", that I saw red and I stabbed him. So we were in the kitchen. I took this knife and I stabbed him on the arm. But let me just say, we're friends now. He's married and has kids, right? This is, you know, quite some time ago. And, you know... That was a pivotal moment. I nothing happened in a sense because the the way that we grew up in New York, it was like he's not going to call the police on me. So he told a story. He had to go to the hospital. He told a story that he was playing basketball and you know somebody he didn't know who it was. So he protected me in that sense. But that had made me realize there was something wrong with me in the sense for me to have that overreaction to looking back what now would be a considered a normal you know kind of a little bit of a toxic. I mean we're yelling at each other, right? But the stabbing somebody from that argument opened my eyes to realize that I had some trauma. And when I started doing my own work, I realized that I was hypervigilant. I had a trauma response. It's like, no one's going to do that to me. Like to the, to the point where I became overly self-reliant and I would sabotage relationships or I sabotage potentially where people were really trying to love me, but I couldn't recognize that because I had an avoidant father who loved us by giving us a roof over our head, low level, you know, minimal giving of, you know, the basic needs. So through that process, I realized through my own journey and kind of speeding it up ahead. And then as a therapist, I kept seeing high profile women who are educated, who are smart, who are running businesses or CEOs. And then I found that a lot of these women that were in front of me were in toxic relationships. So in my mind, it's like, how could you be so smart and have running businesses and be from society's standard, be so, um, you know, above average. And then I realized I was looking at myself. <laughs> and then as I was digging farther deep and down, and then I kind of went back to my sister's story, which was a hallmark memory for me. Then I realized that there were a lot of women that were just like me, but we feel like there's so much shame and there's so much cover up, and we keep repeating the same cycle over and over and over again until something happens. And for some people, it doesn't always result into death. So in that, my purpose was born in the sense that I realized that my sister's no longer here. 
she cannot heal. She cannot work through. She cannot, her children were left motherless. My oldest nephew, Jose, died by an overdose. So her children suffered. He died at 27 years old and he had all this abandonment issues and all these other things. So I had made it one of my life, one of my life's journeys to help other women who are still alive and to make it, to reduce shame around it. So what I started doing was I started going into women groups that had nothing to do with mental health, Miles, just regular business meetings or, you know, women network meetings. And I would just talk about like general business topics because I'm also an entrepreneur and a business owner. So I'll talk about business topics and I would slide it in there. I would slide in there about the toxic relationships and about how the further we go, the more secrets we keep and we are as sick as our secrets. And I will talk about you know, the statistics of women being having higher toxic relationships, especially if you're considered an alpha female, right? So I started dropping some knowledge in there and then I would start getting all these calls. And then when I did my own research, along with my own work, I realized what gets us to the other side. And that is the pillars that I talk about in my TEDx talk. That's the mindset work, that's the inner work, and that's the body work. We can't just talk out of our problems. So as a psychotherapist, I'm not a traditional psychotherapist in the sense that you can just come sit on my couch and talk about it. That's just re-traumatizing. The more we keep talking about the trauma over and over and over again, we stay stuck. So we have to be really strategic and unpack it in a way that it's moving you towards healing. So acknowledgement is one thing. And then we have to do the inner child work, right? So if I'm married to you, Miles, and we get into a fight, a toxic fight, and I'm telling you, well, you're acting like a kid, right? And I keep feeling that there's usually something there, right? So then I have to bring us back. So if you catch me on a bad day, I'm a 14-year-old girl. There's mm -hmm. a lot of trauma that happened at 14. So when I think about how my ex-husband used to sometimes tell me, you're acting like a child. Well, at the time, I, I gave a lot of pushback, believe me. <laughs> but I look back now, I was. Because we get arrested development. So where we can get stuck in our traumatic places and we can be... 40, 45, 50, 35, and we can still be that 14-year-old or that 10-year-old boy. And when I'm working with these women, they're smart, they're achievement-oriented, but when it comes to the emotional and mental health, it's the 10-year-old little girl that's looking for the validation, like her arms holding up, waiting for daddy to come. And that's why I would see her in these desperate places in these relationships. But you think she's going to tell that to people? Absolutely not, because there's so much shame there. Because if people really knew what my life was like, they really wouldn't like me. And there's this deep belief and she would come and get help until it's almost too late, right? Until there's domestic violence or until there's something that has happened that has given her in that place. So it's been my greatest honor to have the Women Redeem program. So we do retreats. We do a 12-week in-person intensive. We do an online intensive. I have a membership um, that's affordable for people that cannot otherwise um, maybe afford therapy. And then we have an arm for that where we give discounts to save the money, give them discounts to common places that they go to. And I'm currently writing an ebook. So I'm trying to provide a lot of resources because I do believe that God has given me this gift and these platforms. And I can never take my, my karma will never be back. But what I can do is through her legacies, help other women make different, different choices. And that's the thing. I think each generation, you just try and do a little bit better. You know, it's like uh, my mother perhaps didn't have some of the tools, but she did a little bit better than her parents. And then I did just a little bit better. And then now I'm hoping to instill some of that miles. So it's like, I do think generationally, we take those lessons from childhood. I don't think any of us 
escape trauma in some way, shape or form throughout our life. But I think each generation, we try and do a little better about talking about them, about learning about them, about learning how to heal from them. And that's kind of my goal is, you know, to help people from a place I'm still healing, of course, but from where I am and what my healing journey has been. And so that's kind of the essence of the podcast too, is for us as people who, you know, Miles and I both who are um, wanting to grow, wanting to bring our expert friends alongside of us is the three pillars you talked about. I thought maybe you could expand on those because those are starting points for somebody who may not have any tools or somebody who didn't have a parent to model those behaviors for them. So that's kind of our goal there. If you don't mind expanding just a little bit on each pillar. Sure. You know, everything makes sense in the context of a story. So if you were to look at, I'll just use myself example. If you were to look at me at my worst moments, instead of asking what's wrong with her, what happened to her? Right. And that gives a different context when you kind of look at someone's behavior and you wonder, well, what happened to Miles? What happened to Janie? What happened to Mary Lynn that she responds that way versus why is she acting that way? So when we get to that place, the first thing is our mindset is we have to have it. It's, it's the most basic sense, an awareness, an openness, a curiosity. And part of it is not even to blame because it's real easy from a mindset standpoint that I can still fall into that. Like I always give this example as I talk about me being a boy mom too. We had this papaya tree out in our backyard and I brought the papaya in and I didn't realize I had like a little pinhole in and I didn't even see it. So some things got out of it, some bugs, I should say. And then we had fruit flies that were in the house. So we, I did everything, make a long story short, to get those things out of here, right? Every single thing. So maybe a week later or so, my son says, I saw a fruit fly. I'm like, no, you didn't. I quickly said, no, you didn't. And we know in that small moment, Marilyn, it's a little T, right? I just tried to change his reality. Just because I didn't see it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. So even with all the knowledge and stuff that I have, my trauma from how I was raised, my reality was constantly changed. Children are seen and not heard. You cry, I give you something to cry about. It's still a working out process. But I have the mindset of a growth mindset and a mindset of a healing, of a healing mindset in the sense that, you know what? He probably doesn't want me to say this, but I call him Snookums. So I'm like, you know what, Snookums? You're, you're right. You know, just because I didn't see the, the fruit fly doesn't mean it didn't exist. And I'm sorry for that reaction. Let, let's figure out what we need to do. Versus the fixed mindset would have stayed and said, you know what? You didn't see that. You didn't see that, right? Because that's where my wounds came from, is that if it didn't align with what my parents saw, they would change your reality, deny it, minimize it, didn't want to deal with it, right? So trauma can be passed on in very subtle ways. It doesn't even have to be the big traumas that, you know, different abuses where people can see. It can be that I'm constantly telling Miles, you know, to fit my narrative of what I want my son to be. Right. So that in the mindset, we have to be in a place where there's openness, there's curiosity, there's willingness. And even if it doesn't match with my mind that I have right now, because it's what I see and what I touch, that there's a curiosity that there is more beyond than what I have. Right. So we have to be able to get into that space. It's very basic form. I can probably do a seminar on that. And then second is our inner work. Our inner work is that Janie still has a, a little girl inside of her. She's literally, you know, if, if I, my picture here I have a, a picture that I keep one of my she's in fifth grade here right and then I have another picture that's over there that she's at 
she's she's a little bit younger. So that little girl is still inside of me. And the reason why it matters is because I was wounded. We were all wounded. And if we don't understand what our wounds are, it's going to find us every single time. One of my wounds as a little girl was feeling not good enough. And I never, I don't have a memory. And this is why it's key for your, your listeners and your viewers to understand this. I don't have a memory of not feeling good enough. I can't think about, oh, I was five years old. I didn't feel good enough, right? From a little girl's mindset, I don't have any of those memories. But when I look back as to why I react a certain way, that I could be successful, I could be achieved, I can be um, beautiful from society standpoint, and I could be in a relationship and still not feel good enough, right? So, and from that standpoint, there's a clue. So then when I did my inner healing work, you do a timeline, you kind of go back, you're curious. I can have memories where I would wake up in the morning as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, where I'm like, today I'm going to be perfect. Today I'm going to be perfect. And I remember that memory, which is the clue that in order for a little girl to wake up and feel like she has to be perfect, there's something inside of her that doesn't feel good enough. So if I was perfect, then maybe dad, who's an alcoholic and who, you know, we're background objects, then maybe he's going to give me attention. Again, I don't have memories of that, but I can look at my behaviors to understand my own context. So that's the inner work. So in order to heal, we have to be aware of what our wounds are, right? So whether it's rejection issues, whether it's abandonment issues, whether it's not good enough, whether it's abuse issues, when we're able to name it, then we can claim it, right? That's where that saying comes from. And then the body work is we the trauma that we experience is stored in our body, right? So when I'm triggered, it's like an alien could take over my body. I'm looking back, I'm like, man, I had I have made no freaking sense, right? And that maybe the person who I'm taking it out on, right? Especially when I look at, you know, my my younger self in my 20s, I'm like, man, I was a monster. I was an emotional terrorist in my marriage, right? Because I was from a trauma place, right? And the trauma kind of comes over your body. Some people can feel it in their stomach. Some people, they, you know, you think about it in its basic sense, when people are anxious, sometimes they can't keep things in their system. So they're going to the bathroom or if they're depressed, they can't eat, right? So that's a basic sense when you kind of think about how our bodies incorporated. So there are certain things that we have to get in tune to our body. We can be up here in our head, but we don't feel it in our, we don't, we don't connect with our heart, mind, and our soul. So from a, a pillar standpoint, and that's the most basic way I can explain it, from a pillar standpoint, we need to do all three and get the rowing going so that we can get to a place of healing, right? So I give some examples, not only in my TED Talk, but there's things that you can just think about people tell you in general, like cold therapy, There's a, it's called polyvagal. So, and that's our nervous system. So when you're highly anxious in a fight, let's say that you're, when we call it attachment style mile, so and this is important for you for you to know, for all of us to know. So my dominant style, my dysfunctional style is an anxious attachment style, which is why I was constantly like needing to know, needing to know and it would come off controlling, right? Because knowing stuff was security for me, right? But it came off controlling to an avoidant partner who was smothering, who had a mother who was smothering. And every time you're, I feel like I'm with the mom, right? So then an anxious attachment and avoidant attachment usually come together. But an anxious attachment has to learn to self-soothe herself. I had to learn to self-soothe myself. So that's where I gave some of the examples in a TED Talk. It's called bilateral stimulation. You have to bike, hike, get to move your body. There's cold therapy that you can do. And then obviously there's brain spotting and other you know, ther therapeutic things you can do. But for people that don't have access to that, cold therapy for 20, 30 seconds, dunking yourself, right? You're constantly resetting. There's tapping. There's lots of different things, but you have to be able to do that because when you get triggered, I call it like the alien will take over you. And in that moment, especially I've seen it happen with my couples, like she, and I'm just, it can be he too, but she just doesn't care. She's going at it. And I'm like looking at her. I'm thinking, does she not hear what she's saying? No, she doesn't. 
right? So in order to heal, we have to have all of those meet and get a rhythm for it because we can't just talk our way out of it. Because there's a lot of people that know what their issues are, but they're still doing the same thing. And there's there's the disconnect. Well, that's uh, so many interesting things. Yes, the anxious attachment style. I know it well. And I think I told you, or I, I may have mentioned it the other day that I have a trauma response to people yelling. Um, I will start to cry if I get yelled at because you, the body keeps the score. We hold those things in. So that's something I'm going to look into like, okay, you know, what can I do? Um, that's a discussion for another day, but I'm just saying there's these things that you may not realize show up and the way they show up. So people can maybe start paying attention to some of those signals and clues now that, now that they know. And, um, so the yelling is one of them, but you know, you mentioned Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and I wanted to just ask you about her for a minute because I used to do brain mapping, um, QEEGs for a doctor, Dr. Mark DeBrinkett, and he was out of Colorado and, um, that is who we would have people watch. So I was thinking, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of resources or tools, would she be somebody to go and spend a little time watching? Or are there somebody you recommend, like, if you don't know where to start, just go to YouTube and watch, to, you know. <laughs> well, Dr. Carolyn Leaf was actually uh, interviewed her on my show. Uh, let's talk about Jane Lacey, but Carolyn Leaf would be someone that you can watch her on YouTube, Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, so those would be my two go-to places that people that understand the intersection of mental health trauma and brain and brain health, because a lot of times people, you know, have traumatized brains. And I'm not talking about from a CT football standpoint. So it's like these reactions and you have to understand that. And for some people, they also develop mental health challenges as a result of that from a, from a little girl, little boy standpoint, that could be ADD, that could be ADHD, that can be, you know, dysthymia, always having a low grade depression. You never feel fulfilled. You always feel like, yeah, this is a good day, but there's always like this this, this heaviness that's writing. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the, that's what we call the stymie. It's a certain type of depression. It's not the major depressive episodes. Like, and usually you form that as a little girl or a little boy. And that's usually because we do. And I know as moms, it's hard to sometimes admit to this, but our kids, you know, they capture what they experience, not what we say. Right. So my son to this day, sometimes, and he has the, he's a therapist kid. He can verbalize and he can say what he needs and what he wants. And like when we were driving home today, he said, well, if we watch a movie tonight, can you not be on your phone? And I said, absolutely. Because he knows that when I'm on the phone for him, he translates, I'm distracted. I'm not really enjoying the movie with him, but he has a tool that I didn't have when I was a little girl. He's able to tell me, and he has a mom that responds to it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I have to realize that the message that he sends at times, not intentional, is that because I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm, I'm working. So when I'm working and I'm doing stuff, he can easily get the very message, Miles, that was my trauma, and I can still pass it down, even with everything that I know. If I'm not careful, I can still pass it down to him that he's not good enough. You see how that's so subtle? And even with all the knowledge that I have, it can still happen unintentional. So we have to be in such a place of awareness and healing is a constant journey because we're still going to wound even when we have a lot of awareness, even when we're healed. But he has different tools than I have. He can express it. He can tell me. It's like, your phone is more important than me right now, right? He literally can say that to me and he has, right? And I'm able to respond to him in a way that is responding to what we call his bid for connection where I didn't have that. My wound came from the absence of the emotional neglect, 
But now I can still do neglect, even though it's not my intention because of a different way of being. So we talk about generational trauma. I can still pass that trauma down to my son, even with everything I know, even with the doctorate behind my name. So it's constantly a work in progress. So we, this is where kind of coming back to healing work, Marilyn, this is where we have to forgive ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves. And the best thing that I can offer my son and the best thing that Miles can offer potentially his kids and future kids is we have to be good enough parents. We're not going to be perfect. We have to be good enough. They have to get enough of the good stuff that they have the tools, they have the equipment for him to navigate the world. I'm never going to be perfect because I come from a dysfunction and he's getting to your point. He has it better than I have, but I'm still a wounded person. I'm still a wounded person and I'm still healing. And I'll be healing to the day that I die. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Lacey, I honestly, everything that you expounded upon, A, a plethora of information. But what I love about your purpose is that, I mean, sons, daughters, moms, dads, men, women, young, old, like everybody can take something from it. Everybody's had a parent or a foster parent or a mom or dad. Or, and it's, it's such like a you have such a wide playing field of like who can be affected by the information. And I think anybody that's listening can take a lot from it. There's one thing you did say though, that I've never heard in all my years of self-help books and, um, you know, podcasts and listening to some of even my favorite artists and athletes talking about mental health. You said we are as sick as our secrets. I've never heard that before. And on the very surface level, it sounds pretty much, you know, it is what it is. Can you expand or expound just a little bit on that? Because I like I thought I love little like catchphrases like that. And when you snuck that in there, I was like, oh, I'm writing that down. <laughs> so you don't have to answer this. Neither one of you. This is a rhetorical question. But think about the very thing that you either said that you were going to take to the grave. No one's ever going to find out about this or the things that you'll do literally when other people aren't looking. And for some people, that is pornography. For some people, that is sex outside their relationship. For some people, that is drugs. For some people, Miles, it's food, right? It could be hiding the candy bar from your spouse mm -hmm. because every time you're having the candy bar, they're criticizing you and then you have a food addiction, right? So it can be something as simple as the food addiction to, you know, I'm watching porn, to I'm cheating on my spouse, I'm drinking too much, but I'm denying it, I'm hiding it, I'm lying about it. It's all of those things that keep us in bondage because it keeps us from being authentic, it keeps us from being transparent, and then we live a split life. And the easy way, the easiest way to explain sick as our secrets is let's say it's in our contradictions that I can understand when I'm working with people that they're not telling me the truth. All right. So I'll give you a little therapeutic secret. So when we listen to contradictions, then I can know that you're lying to me without even you telling me you're lying to me. For example, if you're coming in and telling me like as a father, for example, and you're like, you know what, the most important thing in the world for, for me are my kids. Right. Very simple example. But then when I'm looking at what's really happening in your life, you spend no time with your kids. But it sounds good. The most important thing is my kids. And then when I'm underneath the surface, it's potentially because you're spending time with another woman. It potentially it's because you're attached to work, right? So in the contradictions is usually someone's secret that keeps them from being authentic, keeps them from being honest, keeps them from growing. Because when we keep secrets, it's gonna keep us from there's actually, it's not my quote miles, but this really hit home for me in what we're talking about. I believe it was the holistic psychologist. And her quote was that 
secrets is loyalty and truth is betrayal in our family. And I can tell you this personally for me, when I started speaking publicly about my sister's toxic relationship, um, which, you know, she was on a restraining order when she was murdered. I had people in my own family attack me in the sense of, they don't feel like I should be talking about this. This should be a secret. This should be something that, you know, and that's their limited mindset, right? What happens in that limited mindset in my own family, what I can see without it being said is they're unhealed. They're stuck, right? Even my sister, the one that attacked me, she's stuck. She's unhealed. So in her secrets in her life, the reason, this is a clue, the reason why she has a problem or anybody, we can put anybody in these shoes. They have a problem when you're speaking out about things that have happened in your family, things that affected you, but it's Miles' story. And let's say your mom would get upset about, it. let's say that Miles, that Miles is doing a TEDx talk and he's talking about what it was like growing up as Maryland's son and all his pain and lessons that he's growing out of. And she's like, well, why are you telling people our business? Blah, blah, blah. There's using indication that that mom still has secrets things that have yet to been revealed. So by you talking about it, it's also going to bring up, well, he's talking about these things. And then it brings up shame because we can still have things that we have yet to heal from because we're not ready to talk about it yet. And in my family, it can be whether it's childhood sexual abuse, whether it's my sister's, her own addiction, it can be anything. So when we keep secrets, it keeps us sick. It keeps us stuck. We don't grow. And I know for me and my family, there's certain people in my family, originally from New York, that never left the block, that keep them in the same cycle. And I can look at, I come from a family of addicts. So when you have addiction in particular, there are a lot of secrets. There's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of hiding. There's a lot of lying. My dad was a drug dealer, right? So I grew up with that. My mom had an affair on my father and I was her secret keeper, right? So as a little girl coming and talking to me and sharing me about what's going on, right? So when I look at all this other stuff, so what did I learn? at an early age is secrets, right? So then when I married someone who had addiction, nobody knew <laughs> until I left, right? So I kept a secret, but it kept me sick, right? So I can give many examples of how that plays out in our in our life, but hopefully that gave you enough to, to think about or for your listeners and viewers to see how that's playing out in our life. So think about your secrets right now that nobody knows. For some women, it could be an abortion they had 20 years ago. For some women, it could be that she slept with her husband's brother that no one yet knows about, right? So it can be a variety of things. But when we usually say it, it usually has to do with a lot of addictions issues. Wow, that, I mean, that summed it up like perfectly to a T. And I think that, um, you know, th this information, like I said earlier, is so, is so valuable that I'm myself, I like to, you know, go back and listen, but I'm like, I've never, this may be the first or second podcast where I'm like, I want my girlfriend to listen and, you know, come back and we're going to do that, you know, so, and, and her daughter, she, you know, she can, she can learn from it. So that's awesome. It's great. And I love your purpose. And it's, it's, I always admire people who have a purpose because there's so many of us that have zero purpose or haven't found it yet that it's very refreshing, you know? And since your mother is perfect, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, of course. But that was one of the big things as I learned early on was attachment styles and I too, and major anxious attachment style, you know, uh, I think a lot of our generation, I'm older than you, but you know, is, um, but I think that's why we work so hard to give our kids the secure base and, you know, give them that secure, not I don't think anybody ever escapes 
you know, um, not something reflecting onto their child. I mean, we are human. We are not perfect, like you said, but it's how we rebound from it, how we come um, and forgive ourselves because there were times, I think Miles was maybe five years old and we were going through the McDonald's drive-thru and I was not the most um, together at that point, whatever my issue was, my road rage or whatever. And my son had to like put me in check at five years old. And I don't even know if he remembers that, but I can be like, oh my God, I'm a horrible parent. I've ruined my child and he's only five and then now his life is ruined. You know, no, we've got to forgive ourselves. We're not perfect, but going back and looking at some of these tools, you know, I think is huge. So I, I'm super appreciative. I think the mindset for me, one of the things that first helped me was books and community, getting around people. And um, I don't know, is that what you're community is it on facebook or talk to me a little bit about your community because i think yeah, it's membership yeah. so it's a membership so we do a once a month master class and a workbook and then we have a book of the month um so it's an inclusive community and to your point you know those are things that people can do right now is there are free resources youtube there's books Right. There's videos they can watch or they can follow. I'm a big believer for my own uh, social media. I only follow people that if I'm scrolling through their stuff and it's positive or educational, if even if it was my, you know, I remember unfriending like cousins that, you know, I'm seeing their cars and their gold teeth, right? Unfollow, right? Because they're not necessarily inspiring to me. So there are certain things that if we put ourselves around people, places and information that we don't have to pay for. There's a lot of free information and that is the download because if we keep downloading repetition, 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 that is the mindset. Cause I cannot like, for example, right now I'm learning about some investment in, in certain areas. And I, before I even made, before I even made a certain decision, I'm downloading information, I'm downloading information. I'm priming my mind. I'm creating a runway. So when it's time to take off, I have so much information. I'm going to feel a lot more confident. So we can do that in many, many different ways. And I do believe education is important. And then the other thing that you said to give your viewers and listeners education is it's what we call rupture and repair. You know, as you're talking about forgiveness, rupture is the woundedness that like, for example, you could have given miles at the five-year-old and the McDonald's. The repair is that at some point, and you can even do this now, repairs at some point is like, oh my goodness, Miles, I'm so sorry. Mommy had a bad day, right? Repaired it, acknowledged it. And for some people, they don't have a, a mother like you, Marilyn, in the sense that they have a growth mindset and they're healing. Some people are still waiting for their mom or their dad to acknowledge their pain. And when I'm dealing with people, that's why we have to understand the inner work because they can be trying to chase the ghosts of their father or the ghosts of their mom or the people who have yet to validate their existence and why they chose. And this is a good thing why Miles should let his girlfriend listen and be in the same page because it's what we call Imago Day therapy, um, Miles, is that there's a reason why you chose your girlfriend. It's just a matter of if the two of you are gonna grow through it, right? There's a reason why I chose my husband. It wasn't my father he reminded me of, it was my mother, right? And I, that's where I had the most wounds at. But you don't think about these things until you find yourself, you know, with enough history with the person and you're like, what is going on here? So rupture and repair. Repair can be even looking back. It can be now Marilyn saying to Miles, you know what, Miles? I probably was not the best mom to you. There were times where you really needed me and I didn't show up. And for that, I'm forever, forever sorry. That's it. Without saying I did the best I could and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he knows all that. 
But he needs to acknowledge that when he was five years old, he saw his mom raging. I'm making this up, not knowing the details. Yeah. Five years old, he saw his mom raging at the clerk who was just trying to count the right money, right? That left him an impression that now he's anxious because now every time somebody raises their voice, he has a trauma. All mom has to do now is say, you know what? I was not in a good place at that time. And I'm so sorry that you got to witness that. That's it. Acknowledgement. That's the repair. It's powerful. I love that. So, well, Dr. Janie, I am so appreciative of your time. You know, I think, like I said, the reason A is coming from a point of, uh, I was fortunate to get out of something very traumatic that I could have been very well in the same situation that I have a soft spot. Um, it could almost bring me to tears. <laughs> so I think I'll... <laughs> Gloss over that so I don't start crying on the podcast, but you know, I do. And so I'm in alignment with you in that area. I didn't expect me to get teary. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Because I always so appreciate you so much and the way you deliver and the way you resonate and the way you acknowledge and put things in terms. I've healed so much just working with you on Breakfast with Champions. I don't think you. I know you probably realize, but I don't think you really realize. So it was important. And I mean, I was, you know, anxious, uh, excited to have you here today. So Miles. You can... Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I love to learn and grow every day. And I feel like from what you've said today, it's kind of just like sparked a, a new hunger in me to like learn about this because my experience with with mental health was from, you know, the people that I followed, maybe some like rappers or athletes who like, they got recognition because they're like, wow, you know, you're such like a bravado genre of music or or sport. You know, it's very, you know, refreshing to see you talk about mental health. And then so that's my only window to it. But then hearing, you know, everything you have to say, I'm like, there's so much more, there, there's so much more knowledge out there. And I just like, I want it all. I'm into so many different things. I can talk to you for hours about anything, politics, cars, sports, movies, music, like everything. So when I see something or hear something that I'm like, you know, it just like rings true to me. I'm like, I'm about to go binge on YouTube probably when I get home. You know what I mean? So, so it, it is what it is. And I, and I just really appreciate your time. Yeah. I'm about to see what the rates are so I can, you know. Well, your future self miles will thank you, right? Your future self would thank you for having yeah. a growth mindset and taking the nudge and diving in and your girlfriend, We'll be thankful. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Um, just tell us a little bit about what you have going on and where we can find you and all those good things. Yep, absolutely. So I'm anticipating my television show to come out. It is a 10 episode uh, TV series and I'll be on all 10 episodes. So I'm excited about that. And I will also have a uh, companion podcast that is the network's companion podcast. So I will be on there commentating as the episodes are being released. So that is the anticipation of what's happening. But I have my Woman Redeemed membership. We have our retreat that's coming up in September where we are doing our four-day retreat where we're doing the, the three pillars of healing. 
Um, and anyone can find me. They can just put Dr. Jane Lacey in Google and they will find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Dr. Janie. And I, let's see, what's tomorrow? No, today was Thursday. Today was, um, we, we are on Breakfast with Champions together too on a social audio app called Clubhouse. So you can always catch you there on Therapy Thursday and learn what I've learned. So <laughs> thanks again, Dr. Janie. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Marilyn, for having me. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you got to meet my son too. Me too. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs>